Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So what is the state of Canada's finances, particularly during the pandemic? Uh, We also have uh, a story of $600-plus million, the cost of sending federal employees home with pay during the pandemic, and also a $12 billion projected loss for federal crown corporations, again during the pandemic. There's the $520 million commercial rent relief program for small businesses. We'll be talking with Dan Kelly of the CFIB about that tomorrow. And uh, there's also continued talk about a national basic income for all Canadians. What would the cost of such a program be? Is there any way we could afford that? Uh, Again, at a time when our finances are under significant stress, with a uh, national debt approaching or having crossed the $1 trillion mark, and uh, the annual deficit at numbers I cannot even imagine. The Parliamentary Budget Officer, Yves Giroux, was a guest on our program about two months ago. We asked Mr. Giroux to come back, and he's kindly agreed to do that. Welcome back, Mr. Giroux. You live a very interesting life these days, I would imagine. Yes, as we all do, but um, I'm dealing with big numbers these days, and you gave a a quick snapshot of all these multiple big numbers that I'm dealing with. It's uh, uh, hearing you say these, uh, my head is spinning. Well, I'm glad your head is spinning because it's hard for me to comprehend what's what these numbers really, really mean to all of us. You know, we hear about major corporations having uh, huge losses, quarterly losses in uh, in in their income. We also hear about um, small businesses in this country, 150,000 plus, maybe out of business. We'll be speaking with Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business about that tomorrow. What is your overall perspective of our financial reality in Canada today when these big numbers make your head spin? Um, the reality is that uh, lots of people, millions of Canadians and businesses are suffering big losses because of the lockdown that we have been under and we're still under to a certain extent. So losses for millions of people, financial losses, including businesses, so which means lower revenues for government lots of big support programs for government to support Canadians and businesses, which also means big deficits for government. So we're probably in the worst of it, or or maybe even the worst of it is behind us, but it will leave big deficits in its wake, and it will also lead to significant financial impacts for, for individuals who lost their jobs and who still have to continue to make their payments despite the fact that they have lost their jobs. And it's the same for businesses. They have fixed costs, such as rent and and utilities, that they have to continue to pay, even though revenues have dried up. So lots of negative impacts for businesses and Canadians. That's that's the sad story, but but that's nothing new, of course. Yeah, may I ask you about this, uh, the, the commercial rent relief program, and again, we'll be speaking with the president of the CFIB about uh, about this tomorrow. But it's a 500, I believe, a projected 520 million dollar cost. And and how do you assess this? What when when you see that program and that number, what does that speak to to you? Well, the criteria are quite complicated, so um, I had to read that a few times myself to understand what exactly it meant. So uh, that's probably why the cost 
are not that high, considering that it's uh, three quarters of the the rent that's um, for businesses, three quarters of the rent that are being um, relieved, or fifty percent of that seventy five percent is in forgivable loan. So it's very complicated. But when we hear that three months of rent will almost be free for small businesses, you'd think it will be billions of dollars. But when you dig a bit in the details. It's so convoluted, the criteria, that it's not that surprising that it's only half a billion, uh, which is surprisingly and sadly uh, a small amount these days. So it suggests that the criteria are quite complicated and its application is very limited to small businesses with a very, well, with a relatively low income threshold and relatively low monthly rent. So that's what uh, it, it tells me. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Giroux, are you at all, as Parliamentary Budget Officer, engaged in the issue of the government and the We Charity contract? To my great relief, I am not. Um, I, my colleague, the Ethics Commissioner, is, as he's indicated publicly, he will, or he has launched investigations into that issue, but I am not involved, and okay. I'm not sad about that. No, I imagine you're not. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. I don't blame you for not being sad about that. How much direct communication does the Parliamentary Budget Officer have with the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister's Office, the Finance Minister, and the Finance Department? Uh, very little communication with the Prime Minister's Office. Virtually no communication whatsoever with the Prime Minister. Um, I met him personally once at a big event where 600 people were present. Same with the Minister of Finance. Uh, regular dealings with the Department of Finance, however, because they have uh, a wealth of information that is very useful in the conduct of the work of my office. So uh, regular interactions with finance officials, very little with political staff in the Minister of Finance's office and PMO, and virtually no no interactions with either the Minister of Finance or the Prime Minister or other ministers for that matter. Okay. I was on vacation when you released the financial snapshot, uh, for, or when you commented on the financial snapshot that was released by Mr. Morneau. As you look at those numbers today, as you look at the realities of what this country faces uh, how do you assess where we are, and are we going to be able to, here's the bottom line question many people are asking, are we able to, going to be able to deal with our financial responsibilities and paying back the money that we owe without significantly increasing taxes going forward? What's your sense on that? Uh, my sense is that it's possible to deal with the big deficit that the government will be incurring in the current fiscal year, but as long as it's for one year. So it's affordable without necessarily having to increase taxes. If all the programs that have been set up and all the big exceptional expenditures are indeed temporary, but if they are extended or if the economic recovery does not materialize and we have another year of a big, big deficit, then it becomes much more problematic and we would probably need to do something as a country to restore something that's more fiscally sustainable over the long term, which means cutting expenditures or raising taxes or a combination of both. But if the measures are indeed temporary and they're not extended, that could be manageable. But that's assuming there's no 
significant second wave that that hits the economy as hard as the first the first wave. Right. Lots of lots of big ifs. Yeah, many big ifs. And the second wave is the big question, isn't it? What it, if there is a second wave? How do we deal with it? How do we handle it? How do we economically and uh, and medically and emotionally, psychologically deal with it? Exactly. Is, These are big, big questions. Yeah. The, the, the questions, I've received a number of emails from listeners aware of this particular development, and they're asking about the possible $600-plus million cost of sending federal employees home with pay during the pandemic. And what I'm saying is, we didn't get this, we didn't have this opportunity, and yet federal government employees do. What do you say to that? Um, that's uh, that's something that's a bit uh, delicate to comment about because uh, it, it was a choice that the government made to send these employees home. It's not It's not necessarily an additional cost because had they been in the office, they would have been paid anyways. Uh, but it's the only big employer that I'm aware of that treated its employees that way, um, continuing to pay them with employees not having to dip into their sick leave banks or their holiday banks, um, and they didn't have to present any significant proof that they were sick or dealing with somebody who was sick for COVID or didn't have any um, any daycare arrangements available or, or could not work uh, remotely because of limitations due to the network, which was a big issue in March and April. So it's something that is very generous compared to almost any other employer in the country. And it's not something that we have done in our own office. Everybody has been working, even though it's been remotely and couldn't be in the office. So I, I personally find that very, very generous on the part of the public service. And the 620-something million dollars that we estimate the cost to be is for sure the very, uh, a very prudent estimate because it's only those that did report not being able to work uh, for these reasons. I'm sure that there are many who didn't bother registering that because they're getting paid anyways. What's the point? And if they don't have access to a computer and a network uh, connected to to the departmental networks, what's the point? They could not do it anyway. So I'm sure it's not an accurate rendition of the hours of work lost in the federal public service. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a federal budget. Given the realities of the money, um, which you said, I, I believe you said it give, causes you to shake your head or gives you sleepless nights, one or the other, maybe both. Uh, the fact that we don't have a federal budget, how much more difficult does it make for you to do your job and for us to manage our economy? Well, it makes it more difficult in the sense that we, the, the snapshots have indicated to us how much the government has spent and how much it's plans on spending during the current fiscal year. So it gives us a pretty good indication of the state of the nation's finances between, well, since the pandemic started and up till up until the end of the fiscal year, so end of March. But it doesn't give us, um, it, it doesn't tell us what is the government's plan after that. Do they plan on stimulating the economy or do they plan on 
um, returning to more normal days government-wise, meaning a more normal level of deficit or even balanced budgets. So the government has given absolutely no indication as to its plans going forward. And that's what a budget is important for. It gives us not only an indication of how much the government plans on spending and in which areas, which we have a pretty good idea for the current fiscal year, but it tells us what are the government's plans for the next five years. Usually, uh, budgets usually have a five-year horizon. And right now, the government's horizon ends at uh, in March 2021. So we don't know. We have absolutely no indication whatsoever what the federal government plans on doing uh, come April 1st. A big deficit again, or something that's more reasonable, uh, finances back on track, or we just don't know? Well, right now, we don't know. We have no indication. And the government has given no indication whatsoever. Where is your focus? What are you focusing on now? As the parliamentary budget officer, what are you particularly paying attention to? Um, I'm paying attention, a lot of attention, to the pace of government spending, um, the announcements that are made, less frequently now, but uh, almost on a daily basis in April and May on new spending. So uh, focusing on that clearly, uh, also clearly paying attention to the state of the economy and the economic indicators to see any sign of strong economic recovery. And we're also uh, continuing our work, which I would call regular work, such as um, keeping an eye on government spending, um, such as new ships for Canadian uh, Navy, um, meeting the Paris Accord targets. Uh, what would that mean for? What will that mean for the so-called carbon tax? So um, that's that's the gist of our work over the next couple of months, and responding to requests from parliamentarians, MPs, and senators. They're very curious about a variety of topics. And we're providing them with information unbiased and nonpartisan to the extent that we can. So I have an, a question for you that probably would require a three-hour answer, but we have 30 seconds. Um, can we afford, is there any way that we could afford um, a guaranteed income for all Canadians? That's being talked well, about. Senator. A senator asked us that uh, uh, when looking at the cost of the CERB, uh, he said maybe uh, guaranteed basic income would be cheaper or less complicated. So he asked us to estimate the cost. And the cost just for six months uh, is between 45 and $92 billion just oh. for six months, depending okay. on the parameters. So can That's we afford it? I think that gives the answer. That's my answer. That's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's my answer. Always enjoy the conversations, Mr. Giroux. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's a pleasure as usual. Thank you. All the best. The Parliamentary Budget Officer, Yves Giroux. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.